Welcome to LOA Today. Walt Thiessen and Life Coach Wendy Dillard here. Today is Thursday, August the 2nd, 2018, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, your second daily dose of happy for the day. And uh, I, I have to start off the show by saying my co-host is flying so high I can hardly even see her right now. She's she's <laughs> about 38,000 feet and rising. I'm above the clouds. <laughs> You're above the clouds. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know that it was even possible for a human being to fly without a plane. That's great. <laughs> well, if it's possible, I'm doing it. <laughs> so I won't even bother with the usual uh, introductions. What's going on? I mean, that you're flying this high. Well, you know, Project X has been underway since the beginning of January. And it's like now I'm making really solid shifts and changes where I'm seeing it in three-dimensional reality because I've given my resignation for the day job so that I can move towards, um, gosh, Live Your Destiny, which is the name of my company, where mm-hmm. I will be in that on a full-time basis, loving it. And um, I gave my resignation last week. And because our company went through this new this process where they had changed systems for our HR, um, we've been in like HR freeze for the last two weeks. So there was a delay in me getting some of the official HR communications, but today we're on our new system and I received just a few moments ago, you know, indications saying, you know, we understand you have voluntarily chosen to leave the company. Um, and then I got another email saying, here are the following assets that you'll need to return to this person at this time and blah, blah, blah. And I ran around my house and I pulled together all the assets. I had a, a company projector you know, I have a couple Amex cards. I have security badges for an office. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. They're all in a pile waiting to go back, even though I have two more weeks to wait. But that's okay. It's in process. And this is tangible. It is. You know, this whole, whole time I have been working toward this, you know, it's like the tangibility piece had been outside of you. But now it's like, it's right there. Hello. Hello. It's happening. <laughs> Such incredible excitement. And as I was talking to my coworker a few moments ago, um, her daughter's getting married the day after I quit. Oh, my. And so she was saying, oh, I can't wait for the wedding to be over. There's so many plans and so much stress and blah, blah, blah. And she said, I just can't wait until this date. And I said, well, that's the same day, pretty much the same day I leave. I said, I can't wait either. <laughs> but for very different reasons. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. This is for a fabulous reason, to say the least. It kind of oh reminds gosh. me, I mean, what you were saying, it kind of reminds me of when Louise, this is many years ago, um, Louise used to be a psychotherapist, as I've told you and our listeners. Um and she was kind of coming to the end of that run. She was pretty burned out by it. Didn't want to do it anymore. And I, at the time, was still working a W-2 job. I was still in corporate and doing pretty well financially. So I said, well, we had just recently um, met each other, gotten together. We had only been together a year or two. And I said to her, all right, I have my condo. I need to sell my condo. Once I sell my condo, you can do what you want. Why don't you quit the job and, you know, take some time off and, you know, just get your head together, decide what you want to do going forward and so forth. And she loved that idea. So she gave her notice after we sold the condo, gave her notice and her coworkers asked her, so you're leaving. What are you going to do after you leave? I mean, what's, what, what are you doing next? And Louise says, I'm just going to go home and I'm going to lie down on the couch. And her coworkers, (laughs) 
Her coworker said, it. "Oh, that sounds so nice." <laughs> <laughs> That sounds wonderful. Yeah. That's like when I, I take time off, people say, I hope you're doing something fun and exciting. I said, oh, I am. And they said, where are you going? I said, home. <laughs> huh? I'm going to spend the whole week at home. Really? And then the, then they think about it and go, you know, that's the best vacation you could ever take. And I said, <laughs> right? absolutely. Because <laughs> every funny. time I travel, I always need a week afterwards just to unwind. So I said, I'm going to skip the travel. I'm just going to do the unwinding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way uh, Louise's uh, co-worker felt. Oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> yeah. You know, when you're not living a life uh, deliberately, mm. Um, mm. you know, we can experience all sorts of things where we feel like we're just doing what we have to do. We're living in the drudgery of it. We're living in the what is-itis of it. But when you design your life to be what you want, even if you're in a corporate environment, if you're doing what you love, you know, I used to do, I mean, I've been in corporate environments where I could not wait to get to work because I got to play and do things that I just love to do. And so doing what you love to do is what it's really all about. Well, this is true. And that's why I left corporate because I didn't have the same experience. I wanted out. <laughs> <laughs> I did what I was good at, not not what I was enjoying doing. And that, yeah, it just, that was not good. <laughs> you know, interestingly, I may have shared this before, but um, I think I set myself up because we're talking about segment intending as we've been reading the book of the law of attraction. Right. Yeah. And one of the things that has been really dazzling me and I've been really uh, just letting this ruminate in my thoughts for quite a while now is where Abraham talks about when you segment intend, you're putting forth your intention for something that you desire and how you want to feel. And when you do it repetitively and then you start to really feel that and the experiences are happening, they said, and they had the word always, that will always be what you get unless or until you decide to intend something different or you shift your vibration. But basically what I heard was it goes on autopilot, right? Sounds like. Okay. So I have an awareness that I set an intention for what I do for a living in my teenage years. Really? And yeah. And I know it was born out of contrast because the very first job I'd ever been paid Four. It only lasted three Saturdays because I hated it so much. <laughs> um, it was in a factory back in the day when we had radios with radio knobs. And my job was to put a screw inside the knob and then I move it on into a box. And then that box went to somebody else who did something else with that knob. Gee, I can't imagine so why you didn't like that job. At the time, the idea of, I don't know, maybe minimum wage was like two bucks. You know, the idea of getting two bucks an hour, woohoo, that was exciting. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so there I stood for eight hours on a Saturday, screwing in these little screws. I mean, they were teeny weeny screws in the, it, with a little screwdriver into, you know, this, this knobby thing. And it was so boring. And I, me, Miss Straight A student, play by the rules first place I'd ever gotten in trouble because I'd be so bored. I would talk to, you know, someone who was standing next to me who happened to also go to school with me. So I knew them. 
And we'd engage in conversation, not loud, but just kind of, you know, quietly under our breath. Supervisor would walk by and say, hey, knock it off, no talking. Oh, jeez. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, how am I going to get through this? Because when I was talking, my productivity was going better <laughs> because I wasn't paying attention and focusing on the boredom of this repetitive motion. Mm-hmm. Well, I lasted in that job for all of three Saturdays and went, this is not for me. Now, as we know, our desires are often born out of contrast. True. And in that time, I remember thinking to myself, I never want to do anything that's boring like this ever again. So I think I was 16 at that time. And it was later in my 17th year of being alive. Um, I was going to go get a job job um, so that I could work like after school and make some part-time money. And as I thought about, well, where do I want to work? I went to work for, actually, I didn't plan it, but I was walking through a mall, the mall that I always shopped at, and there was a fabric store in there that I used to shop at quite regularly. Because if you remember, I was a, you know, I used to make my own clothes and I was always playing around with fabric and patterns and whatever long before I went into fashion design, you know, school. And I walked up to this manager and I just kind of said, hey, any chance you have any jobs here? I mean, talk about informality, right? And he went, um, as a matter of fact, we do have a new job opening. I said, really? And he goes, would you be interested? I said, yeah. He hands me an application I get hi- and I got hired. Nice. Well, I love being around fabric. It was the coolest thing. I got to see the latest trends as they came in before anybody else got to see them. You know, I got I got to learn about process and management and customer service and all of that was exciting to me. But I was in the industry of fabrics, which was very exciting to me. So I did something I loved. Which is a good thing. Yeah. And then I got moved into management I because they had a whole bunch of managers quit. And so they said, Wendy, you're the most highly trained assistant manager. Um, would you take over this store just temporarily maybe for a couple of weeks until we get a trained manager in there. I went, okay. So I did. And after three weeks, they they had a new manager come in. And I remember thinking, this is all there is to management? Oh, this is boring. This is not going to hold my attention for long. <laughs> I remember coming home to my mom and dad. I said, okay, now I'm ready to go to college. I got to go learn something. <laughs> now, there is an interesting you know, reason to go to college, I have to say. <laughs> right. Well, but the college of my choice was to go to into a fashion design program. Oh, okay. So I did that, graduated from there. And then, you know, like everything, my, the point is everything I've ever done, it's always been around what is interesting to me. Because my next real job, I actually worked for a fashion house where they had an entire manufacturing process under one roof where it started out as an illustration, then it became a a sample design, then it went on to a model and blah, 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 blah. But it's like, that was interesting to me. I was doing order processing because I wanted to see the industry from a different viewpoint. But everything I've ever done, every job I've ever had, I've gone into for the love of what I will be doing. And I always know when it's time to leave because it either gets boring or I feel like I'm over it. You're (laughs) over it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, I left costume designing because I was over it. 
I'm like, I did that for about 15 years. I went, you know, I've done everything I want to do. Uh, the next thing, if I were to step it up, I'd either have to go to New York or LA. And I went, don't want to do that. Not interested. Like, okay, so what else is next? And that's when I became an executive admin. And I've loved working in offices and, and learning all there is to do that. And now I'm at the point in my career, I'm like, well, I'm over that too. <laughs> What's next? I mean, your, your whole approach has been really great because you've been finding stuff to love every step of the way. And it doesn't sound like it was very difficult for you to do, but still, it's a good thing. And I do believe that there was a sense of, there was some purposeful segment intending. And then there was also, as I, Abraham would say, a rocket of desire that came out of me after doing those three Saturdays with radio knobs that just bored me silly. I had such intensity of how much I hated that job, <laughs> hated, hated, hated. <laughs> and when I had to wake up early on Saturday morning to do it on those other two Saturdays, I did not look forward to it. I wanted the money, but I did not look forward to that eight hours of drudgery. And I believe my intensity was so powerful that it just, it, it just spurred an idea that when it was time to actually be employed, you know, like more for real than just on Saturdays, I wanted to do something that was interesting to me. And here's a sentence I have said multiple times in my life. When selecting a job, this is before I went to the fashion house that was, you know, everything under one roof. Okay. I remember saying, well, I need work, but I just couldn't, I wouldn't be able to tolerate working for, let's say, a refrigeration company that sold refrigerators. I said, a refrigerator is very important to me. I love that it keeps my co food cold. I love that it has an ice maker. But I said, I wouldn't want to be talking about them 24-7. I don't have a passion for that. It just happens to be a product that I am a consumer of. Mm -hmm, sure. But if, but if I'm going to do something eight hours a day, a minimum of five days a week, it's got to be something that really is exciting to me. It's a good and standard. I believe that. I believe that was my segment intending. Yeah. That was the intention I put forth. And so segment intending absolutely works. And, you know, I'm not in my, my teenage years anymore, but this concept has followed me all these decades as I've moved from one thing to the next. Whenever it's time for the next, it's going to be something that's exciting to me, something that when I wake up in the morning, I'm happy to wake up because I can't wait to get into it. And it has served you well for that very reason. I mean, the fact that you get so excited about each of these different tasks and parts of jobs and so forth has really done marvelous things for you in terms of, first of all, appreciating segment intending and appreciating how to be a deliberate creator once you understood what that concept was, but also just giving you a happy life. I mean, you, you every one of those things that you described that you did that you enjoyed, the love of it just came right through in your description. And, and I, I'm very aware that other people may not have loved the things I did. I mean, when I worked at that fashion house, I sat behind a computer. That was my first computer job. And I was mesmerized by how computers work. That was back in the day when the computers were mainframes. They weren't even personal computers yet or desktop computers. Um, but I was fascinated by the whole process. I, I loved seeing how things fit together. I loved it if I took a bathroom break or a lunch break and I walked around the factory and I started meeting people and talking to people that did different jobs. And I started to see how all the different pieces fell into place into a sequence as to how something went from a design in someone's head to putting it on paper, to putting it in a pattern, to putting it um, 
to fabric, to sewing it together, to putting it on a model, to taking it to, um, gosh, what is it called? Market, where you sell it in front of the like big department store buyers. Mm-hmm. And then I was the order processor that took all those orders and put it into the system. And then, you know, that created what things were going to be created, you know, for the next season. And then I got to see it go on to the, um, the uh, manufacturing floor where we had a team of seamstresses that put it together. Then I saw them finish the garment and then it went to shipping. And then there were even times that I was asked to go help out in shipping and I'd help pull stuff off the racks and put them in a box and have it ship out the door. And then I got to see how the report from the end of the day um, actually created something that went to our factor, which I didn't know what that was at the time, but a factor is somebody who would front you the money for all the billable goods you just sent out the door so you could have cash flow. Which you is know, very and then sometimes I Yeah, and then sometimes I worked in the credit department, in the payroll department, and I was less I was there while less than two years. And all the things I described to you, I got such a good working understanding because I was interested, because it felt exciting to me to learn how all these pieces and parts work together. Now, little did I know that some 20 years later, I would have a costume manufacturing company and I felt completely capable of doing it because I know I knew the whole process, yep. whether it's fashion or costume, it's all the same thing. And I'm like, wow. And so I totally believe in the idea of get paid to learn something new. Yeah, that's always you know, the best way to go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a point for schooling in some things, but I love the pay-as-you-go part, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm a curious kind of gal, and I love to do things that just really get my curiosity going, and <sighs> it's, paid, it's, it's di- all so good. It's paid dividends for you in a big way, and, and continues to do so, because it's not it's not about the particular things that you learned, it's about the fact that you were learning stuff that was enjoyable to you, That that's what made that whole approach work so well. Mm-hmm. And as I've been talking to some of my current coworkers about what I'm going to be doing next, um, I have shared with them, I said, you know, I'm not going to um, only be a coach. I said, that is going to be one avenue or one income stream for me. But I said, I intend to build a really large enterprise um, with the idea of transformation, a personal transformation. And I said, I, wa- I want to have a global impact. And I said, and in order to put my enterprise together, there's going to be a lot of pieces and parts that frankly are not within my skill set. And I said, so I'm going to be calling upon some people that I know at this company who are really smart, who I have relationships with, just to pick brains. And so whoever I'd be talking with, I'd say, are you one of the brains I could pick? And they're like, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. I look forward to that call. (laughs) Happy to help you in any way I can. I'm like, love that love that. I mean, never in a million years would I've thought about all the connections that I've made at this current company that will help to excel me in my next adventure. But isn't that the way it usually works, though, in life? I mean, almost regardless of whether you deliberately follow a path of doing what you love, no matter what path you follow, you still end up picking stuff up off the way. And, and just, you know, learning this piece and that piece and that piece. And then after a while, it all kind of fits together into something that you never really visualized in the first place. But there it is. See, and that's how I like to think that my inner being and law of attraction, 
are orchestrating on my behalf the perfect tapestry of the fabric of my life's adventure in a way I would have never thought to put together. But it's like, there's like even a pre-paving, um, which we've only talked about a little bit, but pre-paving is similar to a segment intending, but it kind of paves the way for what's next. And some of the things I've just talked about just alone in, you know, my different career path or the different careers I've had along my path, it's like somebody bigger than me, somebody smarter than me, uh, somebody more powerful than me, I sense has been orchestrating all of these pieces and parts to set me up for success for the next adventure. And it turns out that somebody is actually a force of the universe. Yeah. I mean, whether we call it source, higher power, inner being, universe, law of attraction, God, kind of all the same thing, at least in my book, mm-hmm, in sure. terms of putting it all together. Yeah. So yep. I have a wonderful one path that has been set in front of me i'm excited about it obviously i'm excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> no it was really hard to tell you you're hiding it very well i have to say <laughs> i know i'm one of those i keep my emotions so close right? to the chest never yep. know what i'm feeling <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fun that's really fun <sighs> and i will just say because it's been very fun for me since i'm now only doing tuesdays and thursday shows a week I have enjoyed listening to your other co-hosts on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Well, and so that's I good, too. To be an, I get to be an active listener as well as a, um, a co-host with you. And you commented to me um, offline that you enjoy them both, but they're very different experiences. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And when I'm not doing the podcast with you, I'm not feeling like, oh, I wish I were there. It's like, no, I really enjoy participating from the listening standpoint. I what, really do. What, what, what's, the, uh, what's the big draw for your, from your perspective um, as a listener? What, what makes the listening such a good experience for you? Well, first of all, the diversity in the co-host definitely make a difference. Oh, yeah. And I feel like I have an opportunity to learn from somebody else who might have a similar body of knowledge, but they practice it through their own uniqueness. And when I hear it through somebody else's uh, filters, it causes me to consider, oh, I've never thought to do it that way. Or, hmm, okay, I want to learn more. Like um, like specifically Linda last Friday, um, she comes so much from a space of energy. She talks about energy. And I could even tell you were trying to understand when she talked about clearing, you were working really hard to understand what that meant. (laughs) And I'll tell you, I don't know that she ever really gave a solid, what I would call layman's uh, definition because she is so energetically inclined. Yeah, But, you know, listeners and you will absolutely learn from her in context as to what she means. You know, it may take a show or two for you really like catch on and go, oh, that's what that means. But, you know, that's how I learned about energy. No one explained it to me. I started listening to people who talked in this foreign language. (laughs) And I listened long enough to go, oh, okay, I get this. This is cool. And it really helped me put the pieces together for Law of Attraction when 
Abraham talks about vibration because vibration was just kind of one of those woo woo out there wild, you know, metaphysical words. What does vibration have to do with this? And now I speak the language of vibration. I get it. I totally get it. You speak buzz. (laughs) Yeah. Energy and vibration are kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more from, from Linda in how she practices law of attraction. Yeah. And, um, you know, Patty, I think the two of you kind of got off to a, uh, a little bit more surface level start. Oh yeah. You know, we were just, just we were just on a wild ride more than anything else on Monday. Yeah. It kind of went from one conversation, one topic to the next, but I thought she's a, you know, really fun to listen to. And she had some really cool ideas. So I know as you know, you have more shows with her, things will begin to shift and move because every new host goes through a period of time and you're kind of getting your groove. I certainly went through that. Oh, but yeah. For me, because, because I did five shows a week, I just got there from a calendar perspective pretty quick. Right. Yep. You know. But you're right. But there, is, I, there is a I, learning curve. There's like a, a, a kind of getting comfortable time and there's kind of getting your, your, your voice feet wet, <laughs> Try, getting, uh-huh. used, getting used to expressing yourself and getting used to forming the thoughts and presenting them in a way that a listener would want to listen to and so forth. It takes a little time to get used to doing that. It definitely does. But, you know, once you're there, boom, off and running. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I know even some people have commented that they're just a little bit shy or a little bit you know, uncomfortable with the idea of calling in and talking on the air. I totally get that. Mm-hmm. You know, I might even feel that way, even though I do this show with you regularly, simply because if you're talking on someone else's show, you're not quite sure how much should you say, how little should you say, should you just stay on the line for a couple minutes, ask a question and jump off, you know, um, how authoritative, okay, I'm saying this for me, how authoritative do I speak from or do I come from a place of I should just bow down and ask questions and not actually share some information? There's all sorts of considerations. So if somebody's listening, I hope they can relate to what I've just said. Like, yeah, I fall into that category that Wendy just talked about. That's why I haven't called in yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe actually that'll give you the impetus to become a caller. That's true. Because, I mean, we love callers. And we keep saying that over and over again. And we actually do get a caller occasionally. And when we get it, we love it. It is really a lot of fun because it just, uh, you, you know how it is. It just it shifts the whole vibration of the podcast just by having that third perspective in there. And it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Do you Do you remember... Or, I mean, she's still around, Dr. Laura Plessinger. Yeah, yeah. Plessinger, however you say her last name. Well, when I worked in radio, she was one of the uh, syndicated shows that we played for three hours a day. And so I listened to her constantly. And I have to say, I loved her format because her format was very much about, you know, she she's all about morality and she has a very strong opinion about it. And callers would call in and ask questions, and she would provide her insight based on her moral compass. And, you know, you either loved her or hated her. I didn't know anybody who was middle of the road with her. (laughs) Um, And I loved her. I didn't always like her answers or didn't always even agree with her answers. But I loved her chutzpah because she spoke her mind. And I have a great appreciation for people who share their thoughts and don't hold back because they're being who they are. And um when I worked at the radio station, I was actually wanting to do a radio show that was very similar to her format. Um, and I had prepared a, 
what do you call it? Like a demo CD. I had prepared a uh, presentation to bring to one of the producers there. And just at that point that I had almost all my ducks in a row, that's when the radio station got sold and everybody got let go. And so all of a sudden, all the people that I had uh, good rapport with were no longer there. And um, I remember thinking for a long time, well, well, where did that whole idea go? I mean, I wanted to do that. I felt really strongly about it. And then, you know, this many years later, you call me and boom, here we are. Yep. And even though this is not the exact same format as what hers is, I feel like this has given me a launching pad to feel my sense of, oh, yeah, I can do radio. Not a problem. <laughs> I like it. Well, that's cool. That's great. And, and you're good at it. I mean, I'll give you an idea of how good you are at it because you've actually been doing most of the talking for the first four, half hour of this podcast. And I want to let you know I'm grateful because during this podcast, while you've been talking, most of the time I've had to keep my mic muted because we had a major rainstorm going on that was hitting the the, the, <laughs> the windows. You can now hear there's a car going off. That's our car. That, you know, the proximity alarm keeps going off because of all the rain coming in close to it. And now the guy wow. upstairs is vacuuming right above my head. So I've had to keep the, the microphone muted as much as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, somehow nobody has ever said to me, come on, Wendy, can't you talk a little bit more? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem for you, really? No, not a problem for me. But here's the thing, and, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this eventually. Um, I find it curious that I'm not comfortable talking without, like you on the, on the show with me. Even though... I could pretty much hijack huge blocks of time. And if you didn't at least go, uh-huh, uh-huh, every now and then, nobody would know you were still there. <laughs> you know, so I can't quite figure out what that's – because I'm not afraid. It's not a fear thing. But there's something about having knowing I'm conversing with someone, knowing I'm uh, focusing – the conversation towards someone is really important to me where like I have friends that do one hour shows and it's just them. And I'm always like, how do they keep going? Oh, it's exhausting. Which I know sounds it's really exhausting to do an hour yourself. It's really, really draining. Whereas when you're doing it with somebody else, you're, you're riding each other's energy and that's what makes it so easy and fun mm -hmm. at the same time. Maybe that's it. It's the energetic ride. Oh yeah, the energy is huge when we do these podcasts. That's why I like. That's why I'm addicted to them. That's why I keep making the <laughs> joke about how I w they should come with a warning label because they're so much fun to do. Well, you know, I think I've only do I've done this three times where I've I've recorded myself. Um, like I used to have a, a law of attraction meetup group here in the Dallas area, and like for the first three, I did a video. So that, you know, because I was introducing myself to people if they wanted to come, so they could see who I was, see what my energy was about and get a flavor for it based on what I said. And they were never more than two minutes long. Although I will tell you, sometimes they took me over an hour and a half to create them because I would do it <laughs> over and over and over. I mean, I remember one of them, I did 28 takes, <laughs> but wow. I was determined to make it happen. And I did. Um, but what felt so not, what felt weird about it is I was just talking to this little dot on my cell phone. Right. 
And I do love the energy. I think you bring up a great point for me. I love knowing there's someone specific who I'm talking to and they're an energetic person where a camera is not. Not really, no. I mean, it does have a, you know, an energy source, but it's not the same kind of deal. It's not a source yeah. energy. <laughs> so maybe I, I think I'll look at that offline, you know. So is it their energy that I feed off of? I mean, like as in it's, I've made it a requirement and is there a way for me to do it where it's not a requirement? Well, because I'll be honest, every now and then I'd like to know that I could have a comfort level to go solo if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. oh, and I'm sure you could actually. Um, I can tell you one of the other factors that makes the whole thing so enjoyable is when you have two perspectives, two different people, two different perspectives, they can have very much the same values, very much the same beliefs, very much the same uh, outlook on life and so forth. But just because they're two different perspectives, um, I was noticing it with Joel today. I, I could uh, say something and then he'll go off on that for a while. And then he'll reach a point where all of a sudden, you know, the, the flow kind of stops. He's not quite sure where to go next. But it gave me an idea. And so I'll state my idea. And that's enough to just, you know, fuel him with a whole bunch more to think of for like, and talk about for the next five minutes. And then he reaches another stopping point, and that gives me an idea. I throw that out there, and boom, he goes off. I mean, it's the exchange of ideas. One fuels the other just because we're with different perspectives. It's interesting. You know, my girlfriend, um, my friend slash coaching friend, called me this morning. Um, she just wanted to know if she could ask me a question. So I said, yeah, now's a good time. So she called. Well, an hour plus went by. <laughs> so, so at least one question. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I swear I really was only calling just to answer, ask you one question, you know. <laughs> um, but here's something that I noticed in our conversation. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, and it may be because she and I are both really adept at tuning in to our inner being and getting immediate on-tap advice okay. or on-tap responses. Our entire conversation, um, she would ask a question, and I'd, I'd say, okay, tell me more. She pre presented more, and then she goes, are you getting anything? And I'm like, yeah, well, here's the first idea that came to me. And I knew it was I received it from my inner being, her inner being, our inner beings. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I received it, and I said, you know, here was the word you said, and there was something that was really strong about that. So let's delve into that more. And we did. And then I got a specific perspective that once I told her what my perspective was, she went, Oh my God, that's it. Oh my God. That's exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> so, you know, that part of the conversation took maybe all of 10 minutes. And then I was thinking, okay, we're probably done and it'll time, time for me to go back to work. And she said, is there anything else you're getting? And I'm like, Hmm. Not really. And the moment I said not really, I thought of something. So I talked <laughs> about that. And then she goes, oh, do you mind if I ask you a question? Well, if she's asking, that means she already has an insight in mind, but she's wanting me to bring it out. So plus, plus I if I want to tease her about it, I'll also point out what you just did. But you can ask another one. Don't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she asks a question, and then I get an internal response. And then we talk about my the internal response. And when I say that, I mean from my inner being. And then I'd say something, and then she would get an internal response. And then she'd talk about that. And then I got an internal response. And I'd talk about, and this went on for the next hour. And I'm like, this is the most dynamically fun conversation and friendship I've ever had because it's, 
it's not just the two of us. Oh, here's a cool way to look at it. It's not just the two of us. Her inner being, my inner being, are as much a part of this conversation as she and I are. And so it's like we're just pinging and ponging with all the different thoughts that are coming to us. Or another way and of saying just, the same thing is that it's all of the two of you. <laughs> it is all of the two of us. Well, well said. And it's so fun. And I couldn't, I couldn't just do that solo because it, it was kind of, it, it, it's like it required what insight she got to move the needle. And then she took it to a certain point. And then I got the next piece of insight, which took us to the next place. And we moved, I can't even tell you how many mountains in both of our lives today in one hour conversation. It just, it blew both of our minds. And we're like, whoa, and we were buzzing and we were feeling goosebumps and we're like, whoa. So I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you don't have a friend in your life, and I'm not saying this just to you, Walt, I'm saying this to everybody listening. You don't have a friend in your life that you feel is a real match to who you are and who you want to be. Ask the universe to send one. Ask, mm. Just desire it because the, the dynamics and the momentum that is created in that level of conversation is beyond anything I've known. And I've had many friends in my life that I've done this with. But when I, the reason I've had many is because I would be with one person and that took me to the next level. And then oftentimes the person I was doing it with didn't grow to this at the same level that I did. And so now we weren't a match anymore. And then the universe would bring me somebody else. It makes sense. We would do it, yeah, we would do it for a while and then not a match anymore. And because I am a high flyer, people. <laughs> well, it <laughs> also no strikes me. In me. <laughs> it, no, there isn't. And it strikes me that what you were describing there actually has a very strong parallel to a major piece of LOA deliberate creation um, mythology or, or thought process or, or theory or whatever you want to call it. What you're describing is very similar to contrast. Because in contrast, contrast is where we get the rockets of desire. It's where we get the, uh, you know, the, the ability to distinguish what we want from what we don't want. It's where, it's what, it's where the rubber hits the road and everything starts to happen. And that's very, very similar to what you were describing in terms of what was happening energetically between you and your friend. I would agree. And, you know, as long I used to have a thing about feeling once I was in a friendship, it had to be forever. Uh, who knows where I got that idea from? But Well, that's where um, the idea of a soulmate comes from. Yeah. And I personally don't believe in soulmates. Maybe that's the reason why. It could <laughs> After my be. life experience. It's like I had one friend for like such a long time, I want to say like 15 years, and probably after about four years, I noticed what I would call the inequity or inequality in our relationship. We weren't bringing the same stuff to the, we weren't bringing the same level of stuff to the table. Mm -hmm. We started out very much equal in terms of he said, she said, you know, I would ask for this. She would ask for that. And it was a really wonderful balance where I felt like there was no taking advantage of. She gave as much as I gave. She was available to me. I was available to her. It was such a wonderful uh, dynamic between us. 
And then I kept growing. And then I got into my Tony Robbins, you know, phase where, and I don't mean phase like that's a bad thing, but it's like <laughs> I stepped up and I got into Tony Robbins. Right. And she was so excited about what I was learning. And I so wanted her to be able to appreciate and enjoy what I was learning from an experiential perspective. And it took me a couple years to recognize she didn't want that. Mm. She got excited for me. She was a great supporter of me, but she wanted me to feed her what I was learning. She wanted to learn it from me, but she didn't want to go have her own experience. Right. She and wanted to vicariously. Yeah. But, and over time I kept growing and then I moved beyond Tony and I went on to the next somebody and the next something. And I noticed she just wanted to keep hearing what I had to say. But I noticed that the more I grew, the less we now really had in common. <laughs> yeah. And we couldn't have a dialogue at the same level that we did when we first met because she didn't have all the information. It, it was now more one-sided. I was feeding her, but she wasn't feeding me. And that's there not really a satisfying relationship because that's a one-way energy transfer. Yeah. Well, it took me 15 years. <laughs> so it was <laughs> a long-term one-way transfer. <laughs> it was a very long-term one, one-sided thing. But when I finally had the courage to recognize this is not nurturing me, this is not feeding, this is actually draining my energy because I was like, now she had continual, I need help with this. I need help with that. And I was constantly coaching and helping because uh, and she'd even say, well, I'll pay you. Well, that didn't feel right either. She was my dearest best friend. You know, she'd fed me. I don't know, even know how many times. So the thought of taking her money felt wrong. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, but I think I'm take, getting taken advantage of. So I'm <laughs> saying no to her money, but I'm also not feeling equal in this relationship. So eventually when I allowed it to kind of come to an end, I made some new decisions about what friends meant. And like, I don't know if you've ever heard Abraham give what I call the funnest marriage vows I've ever heard. No, I don't think I've heard that one. <laughs> it goes something like this. Man and woman standing at the altar. And one of them says to the other, I like you pretty much. Let's see how it goes. That's it. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> I like you pretty much. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> and, and of course, Abraham talked more about it and more full discussion. But what I really gathered from that was that it's okay to match up with people, take it to wherever it has a natural flow, and then if you grow separately apart, you move on and you go find new people to play with. It's like there's not just one person on the playground that you're meant to be with forever and ever and ever. Now, you can choose that, and if as long as you're growing together, that's awesome. But, you know, like when I was married, my husband and I started going in different directions. And frankly, I think our conversations got very stale. And we had great conversations for a long time. But then they got stale. And I'm like, well, this is not fun anymore. And there were other things to it. I'm just only talking about that. But it was time to move on and go play with somebody different. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value to what you're saying there. I mean, I will also point out that for for those who are really like the idea of one person, uh, long term, you know, maybe for the rest of your life, that kind of thing. From my perspective, having been with Louise now for let's see, what are we at? Uh, 
Uh, we're coming in on our 19th anniversary, uh, wedding anniversary. We just, we met 20 years ago. So 20 years we're together. Um, mm -hmm. we find, we, we found so far that there are times where we do change in terms of, you know, one person is going off in a different direction or, or, or moving faster than the other or developing more quickly. But we also find that when we stick it out, then it kind of shifts and then the other person moves ahead. And it's like this, this yin and yang, like a, a rubber band effect. It, it just mm -hmm. kind of shifts back and forth as we go along. Now, we, I don't know. It's, it, 20 years is, is longer than any relationship I ever had, but it's not all that long where relationships go. You know, I met my parents were married for 50 years, so I got 30 years to go. Wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know uh, so anything could happen, but I, I just get the feeling that a lot of it has to do with, you know, do you want to continue to enjoy the journey even though, you know, the, the, um, the the energy may have shifted. Maybe the, maybe the directions have shifted a little bit. Are you willing to you know kind of play it out and see if you can bring it back together again? Because so far we always have. Well, and you know what just popped into my thinking is if a couple does things together and continues to have intentions of similar intentions. I mean, you want the same thing, right? Um, it doesn't mean you have to have exactly the same interests, but if you want the same things, that you want to keep your relationship fresh, you want to keep great conversation going, you want to have a dynamic that like, that there's a little bit of mystery sometimes, and then at the same time, there's a little bit of surprise. And like whatever dynamic you want in a relationship, whether you or anybody else, including myself, it's like if that's what you're both focused on, that you want to keep a freshness going, then law of attraction creates the momentum for that to be a continued thing. That's you know, yeah, that's I, don't true. I don't believe my ex-husband and I um, were intending the same things. I, I don't even think I had the maturity when I was married to know how to do that. And I don't think he did either. But I also know going forward, what I desire, I have much greater clarity on than I did before. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we first connected, just the idea of like, we both really liked each other and there were lots of sparks flying that was like, woohoo, that's enough, mm -hmm. sort of. <laughs> that's not enough. That's not enough anymore. You're right. It has to, it has but, to evolve past that because that, that can only really hold you together for a certain period of time. You're right. It, yeah. it has to have, you have to have more commonality, more similarity of interest than that in order for it to, to stay together. What really was the glue that kept us together for as long as we were together were our dysfunctions. Yeah, that's common, actually. <laughs> yeah. We had dysfunctional patterns that were perfect matches for one another. And then, and I honestly, I can't speak for his part of it, but I can speak for mine that I had a huge awareness of some huge dysfunction called being an enabler, that when I got awareness of it, I was like, whoa, this is changing. This is changing now because this has not served me well. Mm -hmm. And that dynamic began to change the matching quality that he and I had. No, sure. Yeah. Because once you start addressing something like that, then you make changes in your own life. And all of a sudden the old dynamic doesn't work anymore. Exactly. So, I mean, that's why uh, next relationship I go into I can definitely say I will enter it from a very different perspective. Um, and I really like the idea of, I like you very much. 
and let's see how it goes. It is good. It I like totally that. totally worked for me. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember when one of the reasons I think that I didn't have any really um, successful relationships in my 20s and 30s, it wasn't until I was in my 40s, early 40s, that I met Louise. Um, I think one of the main reasons was I I despised the wedding vows. I didn't like them at all. I didn't like the traditional <laughs> wedding ceremony. I didn't like what they said. I mean, I figured, okay, well, it's okay for you guys, but not for me. I don't like that at all. I, I, especially the old-fashioned ones. You know, love, honor, and obey. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if you ever watched the old Roseanne episodes. I I know who the show was. I I was never really okay. a major watcher of it. So there was an episode where Roseanne and Dan were going to be um, the witnesses at um, their friend's wedding, and they were going off to Vegas. That's where they, the friends were going to get married. Mm -hmm. And once that ceremony was done, the friends said, hey, we paid for you to do a wedding ceremony. What do you say? Do you want to, like, recommit your vows? And they're like, <laughs> eh, okay. So they get up to the minister and it's time for the minister to, to speak the rhetoric. And, and Roseanne goes, you know, we've already done those vows. Can we like do our own? Mm. You know, and he's like, OK, whatever you want. And she goes something like, <clears throat> OK, so if I promise to always get your laundry done on time so you never run out of underwear, will you promise? to clean out the hair in the sink after you shave. <laughs> and he goes, I do. And then he came up with something equally as fun as that. And I thought, those are probably the most real vows anybody has ever taken. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, you can make up your vows. You can say anything you want. But I really like, I like you pretty much. Now let's see what happens, you know. And I have a feeling that'll be the relationship that'll probably last to the end of physical time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. We we made up our vows. Um, we, we did not have traditional vows at all. My my vows, believe it or not, were the lyrics of a song. <laughs> really? What yeah. song? A uh, song by Andrea Bocelli, Conte Patiro, which is actually a, a kind of a sad song if you read it one way, but if you read it another way, it's... I will go with you to the ends of the earth. That's really what the, the message is. Aww. And, and I, I like no that. Doubt you didn't sing it in, in Italian, did you? Well, first of all, I'm not a singer. And second of all, I don't speak Italian. But you're right. <laughs> I, I'm not about to try even to do to consider. Louise will actually try to do that. She doesn't speak a word of Italian, but she'll try to say it anyway. I, I won't even go there. <laughs> She's courageous. <laughs> and, and for Louise, I don't remember exactly what she said. She's got them written down somewhere. I don't remember exactly what they were. But what I do remember is... You know, uh, we were married by a judge in front of um, a crowd, and the the judge has to has there certain you know minimal things that the state requires that that the judge asks us to do. So, you know, she asked us, "Do you take this person? Do you take this person?" And when Louise had been planning this all along, when it came time for her to say it, she turned to the audience and in a very loud voice said, "I do." Aww. <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> no. We got married in somebody's home. It was a really big house because we had like 65 guests there. And um, a good friend of mine actually did the marriage ceremony for us. So I knew him well. And I had already told him in advance, when you get to the part, you know, like if there's anyone who has an objection, I said, I'm too old for anybody to object. 
<laughs> I said, this is mine and my husband's choice. So I said, there's no objection part to be in the ceremony. So he said, okay, got it. So we come to that part and he starts to say the words and I'm looking at him and he goes, okay, now this is the part in the ceremony where traditionally, you know, I, as the minister will stand before you and ask if anybody here has any objection. He said, however, I have been told by the bride in no uncertain terms, we are not <laughs> going to include that. And he goes, and because I know she's an absolute soap opera addict <laughs> we also know that at this point if i were to say it some long lost thought to have been dead person will rise out of nowhere and come back <laughs> come back to life and he went off and like did this five minute oh, that's funny. comedy routine <laughs> and had all of us laughing and i thought that was the best wedding ceremony i've ever been to that's great <laughs> it made us, it it went from this being hyper serious thing which, you know, that, that has its place, but that's not totally me, um, to one that made it so tailored for who I am. And the fact that he put that in there, knowing who I am, was like, that was awesome. Yeah, he definitely and knew so, you. There's no doubt about it. He knew you to a T. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny because when it was done, you know, on a honeymoon night, my now husband and I were um, just having in conversation and he said, that was the best wedding ceremony I could have ever planned. And I said, me too. And we both went, we planned it, but we kind of didn't. But it was perfect. Like there was not one thing about it we would have changed. Mm. And I, I think the humor part of the ceremonial stuff is what really just put like our personal stamp on it. <laughs> All right. Well, since since we're, I mean, we we actually did have a topic. We're nowhere near the topic, and I don't think we're going to get to the topic. We're just going on this conversation because this is this is really good stuff. I mean, this started off with you talking about how excited you are about the transition you're making and about how you you can hardly wait to be moving on to the next part of your life and every single thing that comes along toward it is like, oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. This so, and and that's what started all this. But it's kind of transitioned into a wider exploration. And I think I'm not sure exactly how we got onto weddings, but nevertheless, it seems to fit in with it anyway because but we it's, went it's from so exciting. Job to relationships, and I'm like, oh, that's where what that it was. Us. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah. But my my point is, okay, I, I think of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to justify why it is I'm taking it even further on a tangent. <laughs> okay, go there. So um, I, I have to ask you a question. Louise and I have observed that virtually every wedding has one thing that goes wrong, and. We love the one that went wrong at our wedding because what happened was um, we we hired a limousine service to drive Louise there after you know she got herself ready and so forth and so she and her and her uh, uh, maid of honor were being escorted. The only problem was that the limousine that they sent her in was kind of a little bit in need of repair because it didn't have a reverse. And unfortunately, the the place that uh, we were having the venue we were having at uh, was a country club. And they they had to basically traverse around a parking lot to get to the place where he was supposed to drop her off. Well, in order to do that, because it was a limousine, and you know how parking lots can be a little bit tight, he had to yeah. do a backup in order to complete a turn, and he couldn't back up. And so he was stuck in the middle of the parking lot. Now, meanwhile, I'm sit standing there at the venue waiting for them to show up. I'm looking at my watch, and we were supposed to start the ceremony at 12, and it's like 12.10 and 12.15. I'm saying, where the hell is she? What's going on? I don't understand. And then all of a sudden, my brother takes a cell phone call and 
comes walking past me with a big smile on his face. And I said, Mark, what's going on? And he says, oh, don't worry. There's nothing wrong. And left with all of the men in the congregation. <laughs> Tell me they had to push the car. They had to push put the it, car. <laughs> put, put it in neutral and push it backwards. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my dear brother never bothered to tell me what was actually going on. So he basically took half the audience with him. And I said, where are you going? <laughs> So I have to ask you, wow. did you have something similar, some some kind of thing that didn't quite go right? <laughs> um, actually, I didn't. I can't think of one thing that didn't go well. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, and now you want to talk segment and technique? I intended every segment of this wedding. Oh, wow. I know I did. I'd been I'd been planning it for a long time. I'm the ultimate planner. It's kind of like in my DNA to plan. True. Uh, so... Yeah, I planned for all sorts of things, and this this was my one giant weather experiment. And so <laughs> when we got married, it was May 20th, and in Texas, usually it starts getting really hot the week before that. Mm, yeah. And I knew that, and we couldn't arrange it to be any sooner, and so um, I set the intention for great weather, and the people's house that we had it um we had opened up the patio poolside for people to eat and whatever and it was unseasonably cool in the low 70s with beautiful balmy weather the sun was out the sky was blue um it, i mean really all conditions were absolutely fabulous and perfect so the only thing if you want to talk about anything is the night before when we did the rehearsal dinner um was torrential rain and because you can't get really seasonably cool weather, at least I'm pretty aware, that to get really seasonably, unseasonably cool weather, you need to have a storm front come in and True. cool everything down. Yep. yep. And yep. because of that, my dear friends in Tennessee couldn't, the airports were closed. Oh, no. Because the whole southern part of the United States was under these weather watches. Uh, and so I think my, my weather to have the beautiful day on Saturday for the wedding um, botched up the weather on Friday and it closed all the airports. Sorry to everybody who tried to travel. And my, my, one of my best friends couldn't make it. So, okay, uh, maybe there was the one thing, but <laughs> everything else as far as the actual wedding itself went beautifully. It sounds like it was a real success. <laughs> Um, before we complete the podcast, I want to make sure I remind our newest listeners, if you are not yet a subscriber, take a moment to do exactly that, to subscribe to, to the podcast. It's free. It's easy. It takes about a minute. And all the people who are subscribers can tell you they listen to an average of 35 to 45 episodes a month. That's how much they're loving it. And they're listening start to finish every episode on average. So please take a moment to do it. You just go to the homepage, LOAToday.net. The instructions are right there right underneath the player that you can listen to if you want to listen to us live, and we love that, listening to us live. In fact, just below that, you can also see the instructions on how to connect to us and talk to us and say hello and you know say whatever you want to say. But uh, whatever you do, please make sure you take the time to subscribe and then share the fact that you subscribed. And Wendy, I mean, I'm used to seeing you every day, but now I'm getting used to talking to you twice a week. And wow, it's going to be five days, but yeah, I look forward to talking to you in a few days. You got it. I'll talk to you again on Tuesday. On Tuesday. All right. We'll see. Whoops. We'll see you all. I, I just blopped myself out. We'll see you all next time here <laughs> on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye for now.